Welcome, everybody, to Bridge Builders Communities Church Sermon Podcast. You are listening to one of our messages from our weekly gathering. We hope that you sit back and enjoy and be blessed. Good morning, everybody. You know, it's really wonderful that we have such a talented worship team and a team that's so sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You know, it's wonderful when we get to do one of Linda's uh, original songs and one of Lance's original songs. Um, how precious it is that God would give us these gifts. You know, so. And I absolutely love it when we worship together and we proclaim things over ourselves as we worship. Oh, how he loves us. What a proclamation to make every day. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves you. And what that proclamation does, it opens us up for more of his love to come in, obviously. And it opens up more opportunities for to love each other in the way that God wants us to to love each other. They will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. So it's an awesome thing to proclaim over ourselves that, oh, how he loves us. Because when we get the depth of that, the richness of that, the width of that, the absolute vastness of that, then we realize the prize that we've been given. And the purpose that we've been given. And the command that we've been given to love one another. As deeply, as as richly as we possibly can, as human beings in covenant relationship with each other, because that's what we are in. And for disciples that live in the wild, followers of Jesus Christ, sons and daughters of the Most High God, we get the absolute privilege of proclaiming that, that He loves us every moment of our lives. And to me, that is just the most beautiful thing that I can think of this morning. Just to bask in his love. And realize that there's no end to it. That it just never runs out. And that we get to discover deeper and deeper levels of how he loves us. And trials and testings and hardships and sorrow and, and joy and happiness and, and great fellowship together. We get to discover these things together. Because we are brothers and sisters. We are joint heirs of Jesus. We have been given so much. Because of that great sacrifice that he made for us. And it would have been enough if Jesus just stopped there. But he continues to love us and bring us to himself. And draw us closer and closer. 
So that we begin to understand more and more, oh, how he loves us. Is that the theme where I'm going this morning? Can you sense the, the great exhale of our spirits? And just breathing out and breathing in his spirit. Because that's what I sense. I sense that if we could continue with this mindset, if we could continue to proclaim this over ourselves, the absolute truth that God loves us, Absolutely loves us. Positively loves us. Sincerely and passionately loves us. When I can do that, when I can center, center in on that, my perspective of how I see the wild changes drastically and dramatically. Because all of a sudden I am free. Er. To see the truth of who he is, who I am, and who they are. And then I begin to understand that there's not really that much separation between us in reality. I was asked a great question this week. And the question was, you know, it came from this mindset a lot of us probably know this mindset, and some of us have been raised this way. I know my children were. You know, that we leave a place better than what we found it. A park, a playground. You know, we used to clean up churches that we didn't even go to, you know, after church. We would help clean up or help tear down. But that mindset that we're going to leave a place better than what we found it. We went to a park, we picked up trash, we went to the beach, we picked up trash, whatever it was, we did make that place look a little bit better than what we found it. So the question was, you know, with that kind of mindset, how do we make people better? After we have met them. The short answer is the gospel. It's the big answer, but it's also the short answer. The gospel, the gospel absolutely disrupts the chaos in people's lives. And brings shalom to it. Peace. But only if they accept it and receive it. The gospel definitely will change things in people's lives. Regardless if they believe it or receive it or not. The gospel makes a change. Hearing the gospel message will change a person. It is up to that person to receive and to believe and receive the gospel. But there's no doubt of its power to make their lives better. That's the short answer. But the question of how to make someone's life better after we have just met them or we have known them for a while. It's a very complex question, isn't it? It's not easy to answer. I mean, how do we really make someone's life better? Really? How do we really change their life? What I've discovered in that question being 
posed to me. It fit right into this story I want to share today from the book of Luke. Really cool story, really short story, but really powerful when you start to take it apart. But what I've discovered is it's really better, or it's really good, or it's really necessary to allow Jesus to define what is better for that person. And to process what that might look like. Instead of going in with an agenda and saying, this will make your life better. Remember last week I said, you know what, I have lots of good ideas how people can change their life and make it better if they would just listen to me. Matter of fact, if God would listen to my plans, it would be better. Remember I said that, and I'm still here today, so God loves me, you know that. But it's that kind of mindset. When we enter people's lives in the wild that are obviously messed up or maybe not so obviously messed up. But the truth is that they all need Jesus. They all need to know what the gospel can do for them. What Jesus can change in their hearts, in their minds, in their spirit, in their workplace, in their home life. In their finances, in their health. They need to know that truth. They need to know the power of life-changing truth. That, that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They need, to, they need to know that. And that will make their life better if they can accept it and receive it. But we have a process, don't we, in our minds sometimes. I do. That it should look this way. And when it doesn't fit that picture... We can get frustrated with the process ourselves. And then there's this detachment, 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 sorry, with the whole idea of going into the wild and make disciples. We get discouraged ourselves. Because it's not going according to the plan. It's not going according to the picture that I have in my mind. Everyone in this room has met Jesus. And all our stories are different. Jesus did not take us through the same process other than, you know, uh, repentance and forgiveness. That's the overlap everywhere. But how he got us there, how he called us into the kingdom, how he called them to, to himself and revealed the Father to us. All those stories are different. Why do we sometimes expect differently from out there? We put imaginary hoops up for people to jump through. And some people can't jump. They're unable to. They don't want to. And we can't give them a good enough reason to want to. Because it's all about the plan. It's all about the, the process. And instead of getting them to understand, oh, he really loves me. He does. Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me. All men. 
So there's this wonderful story in the book of Luke. Jesus steps into a, a really wonderful story. It's the story of Jesus meeting uh, Zacchaeus. It's a wonderful story. It doesn't take very long, but it's a wonderful story. Luke 19. Starting in verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. Jesus was passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. He was heading to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. But he was heading to Jerusalem to die. To complete the Father's mission. To make redemption possible. To die for the sins of the world. Your sins, my sins. And the sins of a man that he is destined and purposed to meet on the way. Zacchaeus. But he's got to go through Jericho. Jericho is at this time a very wealthy and affluent city. Lots of commerce. Lots of trade. It's a very, very popular city to go to. But it's also on the way to to Jerusalem. So Jesus is passing through there. Verse 2. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. He was rich. Hmm. To say that Zacchaeus is not popular in Jericho is an understatement. He's not only a tax collector, he is the boss of all tax collectors. And he's rich. And he's rich because he has exploited his countrymen, his fellow Jews, at the expense of all of them. It was a Roman tax, and Jews were not happy by, by, because they were paying taxes to a, a government that was occupying them, oppressing them persecuting them in control of them they weren't happy about paying taxes to or tribute to this entity that was controlling every aspect of their life but to have a fellow Jew be a tax collector and taking advantage of them that was just adding insult to the pain that they were experiencing Zacchaeus was not a very popular dude in Jericho. But it's a powerful story here for a lot of reasons. You know, there's, a, there's an amazing detail about Zacchaeus. His name means innocent or pure. His name is innocent and pure. That's what his name means. Innocent and pure. Obviously, Zacchaeus is anything but at this part of the story. He's not innocent. And he's not pure. It's amazing, though. Amazing. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Listen to that. 
He was seeking to see who Jesus was. Not where Jesus was coming from. He wasn't seeking Jesus' direction. He was seeking to know who Jesus was. That sometimes gets really passed over by, by a lot of people. And even many times when I've read it, I read it as he was seeking where Jesus was. Where he was. No, no, no. Who he was. The word here is for seeking means to, to look for, to look for truth. And to look with a desperation, look with passion. There's, a, there's an intent in this word. And it also means this. It's an intent that leads to worship. Zacchaeus is desperate to find out who Jesus was. There's not a lot of backstory to Zacchaeus here except that he was rich. But there's something that obviously has been stirring in his heart that he hears that Jesus is coming. He could tell the direction of where Jesus is coming from because of the huge crowd that is around or following Jesus. He doesn't need to know where Jesus is coming from. He needs to know who Jesus is. And he's seeking him with this desperate intent of finding out who he is. And again, the Greek word, there's, there's, this, there's this intent to worship the thing that you find. It's beautiful here. This, what's happening, or has been happening, is Zacchaeus' heart. To lead up to this moment. This is a divine moment. Jesus is not accidentally going through Jericho because it's a shorter route. There's a purpose. And Jesus knows who he's going to meet. It's a powerful story. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on the account of the crowd, he could not. Because he was small in stature. He was short. Short guy. We all probably remember the old uh, Sunday school song, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Zacchaeus. But maybe, since he was not a popular dude, would you make a way for someone that was taxing your shirt off your back. Would you make it easy for this person to see what you're seeing? I'm just saying that there's probably more to the story. The crowd was, you know, yes, most people were taller than him, but they're saying, you ain't getting in front of me. And there's a lot in the story. So he ran up ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, uh, for he was about to pass that way. So again, Zacchaeus is very aware of the direction that Jesus is coming in. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. What would you do if Jesus just popped up and said, I must stay at your house today? This is a huge statement here. Jesus answered, 
He, just like that. He answered Jericho. Confirmation I'm on the right track here today. <laughs> Here's the thing about Zacchaeus running ahead of the crowd too. He was a man of power and prestige. He might not have been very old liked, but he had power and prestige. He was rich. In the Jewish culture also, men did not run with power. Men that had power and prestige. Because they would have to lift up their tunic, expose their legs to the public. And that was not done. Was not done. Didn't happen. So here's little little man Zacchaeus, man. He's like, I can't see above this crowd. I'm, I'm going to get to this tree. But in order to get there, I've got to run ahead of the crowd. And so he exposes his legs. Rich men also don't climb trees. <laughs> Not that I've found. Maybe they do. But in this culture, no. Children climb trees. Just like today. You know? There's a humbling here that's happening to Zacchaeus. So it kind of makes me think that encountering Jesus has nothing to do with your position, but how you position yourself. See, it has nothing to do with your promotion. It has everything to do with humility. A humble spirit. He was a man of position, but he didn't stay in that position. He positioned himself in a place where he could get a better view of Jesus. It's amazing when you think about the humility here. That we have to humble ourselves to have these encounters with Jesus. And realizing how much God loves us, I don't know about you, but humbles me when I think about it. After 50 plus years of walking with him, almost 60 years of walking with him, I, uh, it's humbling to me to know the level of love that he ex- generously just lavishes on me and on you. It's humbling. But I love Zacchaeus' attitude here, man. He's just, he's just booking it for this tree. And he doesn't care what it has now done to his reputation. He doesn't have any reputation. To really worry about. People already think badly of him. So, but nothing's going to keep him from getting a better view of Jesus. So, lift up the tunic, run as crazy as I can, get to that tree, scamper up that tree, so I can at least see him. Because I want to see him. I want to know who he is. This might be my only chance. This might be the only way. The crowd's not going to let me. This is the only way. He doesn't hesitate. He just goes for it. Verse 5, And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down and come down, for I must stay at your house. 
And so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Here's, here's a cool truth. You know, Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus. The truth is, Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus. He was on a direct path to find this dude in the midst of a busy, commercial-based town when there's lots of... Not only is Jesus coming through, there are other people coming through Jericho. This city is packed with people. There's a lot of activity going on. Yes, Jesus is causing a stir. There's lots of animals in the street as well as people. There's a lot of dust being kicked up. Another reason why he goes to this tree to to see Jesus, to see over the crowd, to see over the dust, to see over the commotion. And imagine the surprise of not only Zacchaeus and the crowd. And Jesus stops and says, not hey you in this tree. Zacchaeus, hey, I got to stay at your house today, man. (laughs) You have no idea yet, but I've got to stay at your house. I must stay there. The Greek means I have to. There is a necessary thing for me to do here. I have to be here and I desire it. Zacchaeus, come on down from that tree. Hurry. There's no time to waste. This is your moment. We know what's that scripture that says, you know, today is the day of salvation. Jesus is setting up a scene here. He's setting up a moment here. And it, got, it has to surprise Zacchaeus. It probably almost knocks him out of the tree. Wait a minute, he knows my name? How does he know my name? Did he hear about my reputation? Did someone talk to him and say, Hey, welcome to Jericho, but stay away from this dude. How does he know my name? And I'm sure the crowd are saying too, you know, like, wait a minute. How does he know this guy? He's just a short little guy up in the tree. So Jesus doesn't only call him out. He calls him by name. And just says, I must stay at your house. I have to. It's imperative that I do this today. It's wonderfully intimate and warm and generous of Jesus here to do this. This is the first way that we can make someone's life better. We can recognize who they are. We can see them. Despite their reputation. Has nothing. Yes, Jesus is going to go to his home. He's going to get a meal. But Jesus didn't invite himself to dinner for food. Jesus might have been hungry, but he was trying to answer the hunger of Zacchaeus. See, that's why he was inviting himself. Oh, and it wasn't just a meal, it was overnight. Say, I must stay at your house. I must be with you today. You know, the, the must stay, the imperative. But the word stay is this word that we've been studying for a couple weeks now. The word abide. Stay with you. Make a home with you. 
Jesus is saying to Zacchaeus in the crowd, I must stay here. I have to. And I must be with you in your home, in your life. This is the life-changing invitation that Jesus gave to Zacchaeus to go into Zacchaeus' home. Guess who's coming to dinner? It's going to change everything. But the first thing that Jesus does is notice him and then call him out by name. Which is huge in that culture. To use someone's name. To call out with that kind of level of intimacy. And then to invite yourself into someone's home. Didn't happen. Often. Jesus was adding, Jesus was talking about, Jesus was trying to show people that he valued this man. This is the second thing we can do to make people's life better. We can recognize who they are and we can tell the people around us, hey, this this person has value because he's a person. Not because he fits my criteria. Not because he's starting to go down the path that I've orchestrated for him. To order to become a Christian. Just because he has value. Because he's a person. And he has a name. I don't care about his reputation. I just care about him. And I may be hungry for my long journey and I might want a meal, but he's hungrier for me than I. Oh, and I'm going to, this is going to be beautiful. But it's now. See, Zacchaeus has a choice here. This moment is now. Hurry down now. The word for there for hurry means speed. <laughs> speed. No hesitation. Jesus is Inviting himself, and he's commanding something here. But Zacchaeus says, doesn't hesitate. Scampers down the tree. Because Jesus recognized who he was. Who he really was. And he was about to make his life better in a, in a way that is beautiful. And awesome. Jesus is telling Zacchaeus, I have a strong desire to be with you. Think about it. Jesus knows everything that Zacchaeus has done. And still wants to go to his home. Not just for a visit. Not just for a meal. But to stay overnight. That's beautiful. Think about. He knew everything. Every cheat. Every, every bit of money he stole. The taxes that he took in. Far above what he was supposed to. And kept it for himself. Jesus knew all that. And was telling Zacchaeus. And everybody else that was in the earshot. Oh I desire to be with you tonight. So much so, I'm going to stay. I'm going to abide with you. 
I am making a statement here about how much I value you. It's beautiful. See that? See how beautiful that is? But a lot of people weren't so happy with Jesus' choice of those dinner companions. Verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. The Greek word for mutter means to complain, to grumble aloud, out, so everyone can hear you. It's not just grumbling underneath your breath. You're grumbling and you want that person to hear it. And, and it's not just one person. It says the crowd. There are many people involved saying the same kind of thing. Observing what's about to happen. You know, Jesus himself said earlier, and the address doesn't come to me right at the moment, but he, you know, Jesus said, you know, treat them, you know, like pagans. And when he talks about someone that's not, not doing through the proper channels of asking forgiveness and repenting and all that kind of stuff, says, you know, treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. <laughs> this is Jesus. Because everybody understood what that meant. Because everyone, they thought all tax collectors were basically pagan. So they were, even though they were Jewish, they were unclean. They were defiled. And not fit for the community. Jesus entered this, this home. The food is unfit, unclean. The furniture is unfit. And unclean. Everything about that home, even the conversation, is unfit and unclean because this man is a sinner. And guess what? Since Jesus has chosen to eat with him, you know what the implication is there? Jesus is now unfit and unclean. Not the first time Jesus has done this, by the way, but, you know, he continuously does this kind of thing, upsetting the, you know, the sacred cows of that day. He goes into this home, knowing full well, the crowd is not just talking about Zacchaeus. They are placing the same level of condemnation on Jesus. Jesus does it anyway. Here's the third thing we can make people's lives better. Spend time with them. Look, I know a lot of us may not think we have the skill sets or the or the words or or the level of compassion. At times to deal with people that are living in the wild that are really wild. That don't fit into any social context whatsoever. There are times that when we're sent out, we go into the world to make disciples. We're not going to go to the, the resorts. We're going to go to places that 
our association with people, we might, our reputation might take a hit. People might think things about us after that. But when we identify with people, when we identify where they are in their walk, and everybody's on a walk, everybody's on a journey, everybody's is, I believe, you know, the Holy Spirit is always leading everybody to Jesus. They just don't know it yet. Because he's not willing to any should perish. So Jesus is showing us that he's, you know, he knows Zacchaeus by name. He calls him. He says, I'm gonna, I must abide with you. I must stay with you. It's, it's just imperative that I do so. Plus, I want to. It's not just about the mission. It's about the person. That's the great compassion of Christ. So not only that, he says, you know, I don't care what other people think. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be with you. And aren't you glad this morning that Jesus, Jesus loves you, and it doesn't matter what other people think about that. Jesus just loves you, and He wants to stay with us, and He calls us by our our name, and calls our name to, to come closer to Him, and He's doing the same thing for people that need to know Him and meet Him for the first time. And hopefully enter the kingdom. Become sons and daughters. Become disciples that live in the wild. And this is what's happening here. And the crowd is upset. And they're, they're, they're complaining out loud. Maybe they're just jealous. Maybe they're just self-righteous. But they surely don't approve of Jesus hanging out with a sinner. And they're making their opinion known. They looked down on Jesus because he was having supper with someone they thought was unclean, unfit, something they didn't like. And they looked down at Zacchaeus because they didn't think there was any possible chance of him changing, of being redeemed. That's their agenda thing again. I know, look, there are... There are certain people in my life throughout my history with walking with Jesus. And I thought, there is no chance that that person comes to Jesus. And then Jesus reminds me, that's what people thought about you. You know, I was, Sarah and I were talking about this a little bit, you know, a little part of my story, you know, and, you know, when I was, a, when I left the faith and when I was running away and rebelling with, from God, you know, there was, and I'd go back to church every once in a while and this was one man and he would always say, he'd go, oh, there's my missing angel. Where you been? I just miss you. I, I'm not trying to pressure you. I don't, I'm not trying to, I just want you to know I missed you. And that has always stayed with me because I know that man prayed for me. He was one of the people that prayed me back into the faith. There were other people around there that said, yeah, he's a goner. I knew it was a matter of time considering his upbringing, considering his character. 
Call me tool of Satan. Yeah. And this man's reputation, I don't know if it took a hit or not. But he always made a point when I did show up, come over and talk to me and remind me that he missed me and how great it would be if I just come back. See? It's a wonderful story that this brings all these things out. You know what Jesus doesn't do here? Something that Jesus does not do in this story. Got a guess? Doesn't condemn him. Or talk about what he's done. Everybody else is calling Zacchaeus a what? A, a sinner. And Jesus doesn't. Like that's sinking for a little while. Jesus does not call him out on his sin, at least not publicly. Again, there's a there's a long conversation that's probably happened between Zacchaeus and Jesus over over dinner, over their time together. We not it's not put in scripture, but that conversation was. But when the crowd is somehow observing all this. Maybe then they're eating outside courtyard. Who knows? But whatever it is, the crowd is, you know, saying, this guy's a sinner. Jesus doesn't stand up and say, yeah, you're right, but he's going to change. He doesn't say that. In that private conversation, where there's discussion of things, I would have to imagine there was. Because of what happens next. See, here's the, another thing that we could do to make people's lives better. We can remind them of who they can be in Christ. And we can give them the voice to speak about it. We give them a place at the table. We add value to them. See, Zacchaeus has a voice. And up to this point, this voice was not respected, not heard in the community, other than how much people owed the Roman government. And so anything else that Zacchaeus wanted to speak about probably wasn't respected. But Jesus is building Zacchaeus' re-entry into the community. By giving him a place at the table, even though it's Zacchaeus' table. <laughs> he doesn't call him out publicly. Again, we don't know what the private conversation is. And Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. 
Basically, Zacchaeus is saying, I know I've cheated people, and I'm going to make it right. I'm going to make it right, Lord. The verbs, in, and there's the Greek verbs in here, suggest that Zacchaeus has already been doing that. That he's already been starting this. That the Holy Spirit has, has already been working on his heart. So he, somehow he knew that he came to a place in his life where oh, something is wrong here. I have to, I have to start doing this. And, and finding out who Jesus was just confirms the deal. So he makes a proclamation now. He might have been doing it by himself, but he might be trying to find a way to make it right. Maybe it was guilt at first. Maybe it was conviction. It's not clear. But the verbiage here, the verbs of the Greek say that it's a present tense thing that's happening. And not only a proclamation of what he's going to do. I think that's correct. You know why? It says that God is preparing people's hearts in the wild. He's setting them up. How did he set you up? He set you up. You didn't know it, but he set you up to find him. You might not have been in a tree, but you were in a spiritual tree somewhere. You were in the wild somewhere. Hiding in the bushes. God set you up. He started to speak to you long before you ever met him. And I believe that's what he's done with Zacchaeus here. He has set him up for this divine, the, the divine moment. Divine moment. It is absolutely beautiful. And Jesus, in order to complete the re-entry into the community, and I realize people would still have to accept him, but Jesus makes this huge statement here. It's a huge statement because of what's happening here. But listen to this. And Jesus said to him, today, today, now, salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. Jesus is doing two things here. To declare that salvation has come anywhere meant God was speaking. Jesus was making a statement here to the crowd. Guess who's coming to dinner? Guess who's arrived? Guess who's in your midst? Because only God can say, salvation has come into this house. And he was also making a statement to the crowd. Besides his divinity, he was saying, oh, this dude's got it. Yeah, he's a fellow Jew. He's a son of Abraham. Get with it. He's part of the community. You're going to have to get over the other stuff. Because salvation has come to this house. Amen. Oh, by the way, I'm the salvation. <laughs> Who's in the house? Jesus is in the house. This is huge on so many levels. What Jesus is saying to the crowd in a, in, a, in a spiritual sense, in a practical sense, in a relational sense, he's covering it all. And he ends up saying, the Son of Man has come to seek the lost. The lost, the people that need it. 
But the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. That word seek again is the same word meaning that I'm passionately doing this. I am doing this with everything that I am. I am intense on finding the lost. And I find them even if they're up in a tree. I find them. Because I'm actively, passionately seeking them. Guess what? Followers, disciples, wow. That's another way we can make someone's life better. Seeking. Seeking loss. Being available to God's calling and direction. Sending. Apostello. Into the world. That word apostello, it means to send, but it means to be thrust into something. This might be the only place where Jesus is not gentle. I don't know. But the whole point is he was aposteloed into the world. He was thrust into the world. Purposely, intently. To change the world. To make the world a better place. My life is better since Jesus. It is not perfect. The past two and a half years have been difficult. And there have been times when I'm saying, no, it's not better. But it's still life more abundantly. And that's, you know, that's the thing I'm wrestling with and trying to understand and, and, and letting God reform what that looks like in my life. Never, it's His process, not mine. I had to allow His definition to take place. He knows what it is, what it would take to make people's lives better. And he has the definition to what better means. I think if everyone was healthy, if everybody had a huge bank account, everybody went on multiple vacations during their life, everyone's life would be better. Maybe. I'd like to try it. (laughs) Just to see. Honestly. But what's better... When my life starts to turn in a direction that Jesus wants me to go to. And I start to think like him more. I start to love like him more. I start to live like Jesus in this wild world that we live in. Remember we assume the identity of Jesus. We put on Jesus. And we put on the the character of Christ. Compassion. Kindness. And you start to find peace. You start to find joy. In His presence is fullness of joy. And so when we're walking through the wild places, they see the love of Christ. Because I'm allowing Jesus to, to define what it looks like and to define everything about my life no longer trusting my definitions it's beautiful what this story teaches us and I absolutely love this story and what I really 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 love about this story Zacchaeus sees what we all need to see 
who Jesus really is. And what to do when he calls our name. Sometimes I don't. And I'm just going to assume that you don't. Respond quickly enough. To the, to the master's call. I'm, there's no blame there. There's no condemnation there. It's just that sometimes I don't think we have the urgency of Zacchaeus. And not that we're going to miss something. But Jesus said, there's this moment that I have for you. And I need you to respond quickly. To my voice. Because it's going to be better for you. And it's going to be better for the people that I send you to. If you know, if you seek to know who I am, can I just tell you that other people are too? And there are. They're seeking for all kinds of purpose and identity. And they're lost because they don't know the truth. We are the light of the world. Jesus says that. You are the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And if I put on Christ, that scripture again, when I'm lifted up, I draw everybody to me. No matter if they're in a tree, (laughs) doesn't matter. I'll give you, I'll instruct you, I'll send you to the person. That person's already prepared. Maybe not for, that's not the conversion moment, what we all hope for. Maybe it's just another step. Another seed planted, watering, nurturing that, that seed. But I can tell you this. It will always require compassion. It will always require kindness. It will always require seeing people for who they are and not judging that. It would always require us getting to know them, their name, their story. It would always require us maybe preparing a place at the table for them to, to share their thoughts, their feelings, their opinions, even when it conflicts with ours. Because what that is saying is, I value you. Which Jesus said, and it continuously says to us. But at one point in our life, when we thought we had no value, Jesus spoke value to us. And we said, oh, I'm going to follow you. You just made my life better. You just made my life better. And now I'm going to allow you to define what better means. See that? See the beauty in that? See the absolute... We make discipleship complicated sometimes. And we've said it many times here. And we've done it. We've done that work. We, we just say, hey, can I just have a cup of coffee with you? Can I share a meal with you? Do you need a ride somewhere? You seem disturbed. Can I, do you mind sharing your story with me? All that speaks value to a person. And says to that person, you're important. And then when we can say, oh, I only really noticed you because God noticed you. 
That changes that conversation. For the better. This is what Jesus does in this story. Calls the kids by his name. He notices them. Doesn't care what the crowd is saying about his reputation. Doesn't care what happens to his own reputation. But because he's been sent by his father to this place at this time on a way to what seemed a greater mission. And it was. But it didn't stop him from noticing a man in a tree and speaking life to him. We have multiple agendas that we need to complete every day. Paying bills, to doing laundry, to mowing the lawn, to whatever it is. We have so many things. Going to work, going to school. And those are all important missions. And probably your mission field in the first place. But God doesn't want us to miss the moments of someone standing out in the wilderness a little bit. And remembering how Jesus interrupted our life in order to speak life into it. By noticing us. See, again, I told you this, but when I was seven years old, when I first gave my heart to Jesus, the, the, the conversation about sin made no sense to me. I was seven years old. But love did. I understood what love wasn't because of the way I was brought up in my home. And so all of a sudden getting a recognition of what love is. Oh, love is this acceptance. Love is this invitation to, to come closer to someone and, and, and to find out who I am. And I, 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 I got that. I got what love was. Because I was so starved for it. I was hungry for it. Zacchaeus is starved for love in this story. And Jesus meets him right there. Over a meal. Again, I wish he put that conversation. And it probably would have been pages and pages. I just wish that conversation. But I can trust the conversation because of what Zacchaeus does. It's absolutely beautiful. You have the power to make someone's life better. But maybe not in the way you think. Allow God to define that. Allow God to show you what that is. We have to both lower and set our expectations high. By lower our expectations, I mean our own. Of how people should change. But look how God changes life. And expect God to do great things in people's lives. By remembering your own story. How God got you here. Right? That makes sense? So, as your homework for this week, I want you to read this story. I want you to ask some questions. Who am I in this story, God? Who am I in this story? Am I Zacchaeus? Am I someone that's high, you know, trying to get a closer view, a better view of your... And if I am... What is the crowd saying to me? What am I hearing from the crowd? 
What voices do I hear? What voices am I listening to? And obeying? Is it the voice of the master? Or is it the voice of the people? Just kind of like you to muse and never keep a, a notebook handy. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is telling to you. Of course, there's a little thing. You know, I I said, okay, God. Um, As I was thinking about this, am am I part of the crowd? Do I participate in crowd noise too much? This is an honest question. I just kind of like you to muse and think about that and maybe, you know, share something. You know, one of the things I've been appreciating, have you guys enjoyed this series so far? Yeah. Yeah, just don't say that to uh, make me happy, but I mean, um, I, I've really been appreciating the, the chatter that I've been hearing, you know, in the different groups and the discussions that, you know, hearing about them and hearing that, you know, you're talking about them and thinking about them and, and sharing thoughts and ideas about them. Uh, that's really important. You know, it's important to me personally, but it's important as a group of people, uh, a group of brothers and sisters that we, we bounce these things off each other. You know, and this is one of these exercises I think that maybe you could share among each other in the different groups that we have. But certainly, I think individually, God is saying something to us in this story. God is preparing us for more discipleship in the wild. And I, you know, I know our numbers are small. I get that. Jesus changed the world with 12 men. I'm not worried about the numbers. I just want us to see Jesus for who he is.